Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins. This week, we are joined again by Jason Anderson of Black and Red United. How's it going, Jason? Uh, there's a weird winter storm. Howling. I was going to say, I was about so, to ask, it's like snowy down there in D.C., right? In most of the area, it's still like snowing slash sleeting. Mm. Um, but I am close enough to the Chesapeake Bay where there's like a weird protective temperature bubble. So okay. I'm just getting rain and it's sort of like deleting all the snow. So I'm tomorrow I don't have to deal with like shoveling or anything because it's just going to be washed away. Yeah. But I do. I am in a flood warning. Um, oh, no. So so that's the climate change status. Element. Like, yeah. It's it's yeah. winter. Right. And everyone else I know is getting a snowstorm and I'm getting an alert on my phone that's like, hey, you got a flood watch like it's like a yes. tropical storm has come through. Yes, this is not a climate change podcast, but yeah, no, that's, I think, I think perhaps that's where things are headed in the future for a lot of these, these regions where it's just going to be a lot of, of, of flood warnings. But, um, that's, it's also hilarious too, because I actually think that you guys down there have had worse snow than we have up here in Chicago because it's been colder up here. So it's been Mm -hmm. too cold really to, to snow that much. Um, anyway, now that we've established that it's very cold, but it's a good, it's a good setting of the scene because we have another off season, you know, deep off season podcast here. Um, we, we do have some player movement, which we'll talk about. We'll, we'll maybe talk about the Kansas city hiring a little bit, but it's going to be more off seasony things. And Jason, I wouldn't have you on if, uh, we weren't gonna dig in at least a little bit into what the heck is going on with the Washington spirit. Um, there was some stuff this week. I, I complained last week to John Halloran about a, a little bit about how it's starting to feel like a redundant story where mm-hmm. we get these little updates, but it's more just this thing that we know is happening is still happening, um, which is hard to continue to analyze because it's just the same facts and you can give the same opinions over and over again. But perhaps some true progress on this in one way or another this week. Um, the Washington Post had originally report, and I don't think they were wrong when when they reported that Baldwin was really pushing for this sale to to Todd Bowley for around that $25 million and that they were getting support from that Baldwin was getting some tacit support from, from the league on that, that the league was not opposed to that sale. As we all know, uh, Michelle Kang offered $35 million. Um, there was some friction in the investor group about the differences in those bids and, and what Baldwin wanted to do. And so perhaps naturally we saw some movement within the Washington spirit investor group this week. And I'm going to say some stuff and you can tell me if I'm saying this correctly, Jason, because Mm -hmm. it gets a little bit into the weeds of investment and the way that that occurred when we had some micro investors come in. A subject that I am so well versed in. Right. uh, Exactly. Definitely why I got into soccer. I took one one business law class in college. And so I'm really, really leaning on that um i feel like i know what a contract is um and and how it works but uh so this was reported by the athletic and the athletic put two pieces out one one was about this update with michelle kang and the second was sort of this wrap up in that because of the um volatility of this situation bully is likely actually just to pull out of of the deal entirely but so michelle kang has been doing some work behind the scenes it, it appears and has corresponded with some of the debt owners in the Mm -hmm. league. And I don't think Jason, did we know until this week that that is what this was, that they had purchased debt in the league or in the The, team? I mean, there were, there were no specifics as to what they had purchased when that raft of investors all came in. Um, 
And then also when Alex Ovechkin came in a little later, there was also nothing about that because it was just it was Ovechkin and a few more people. And again, it was nothing about how much or what they had purchased other than ownership, whatever that means anymore in in the Washington spirit. Yes. So we didn't really know when we've gotten a lot of these groups and you can go back if you want to listen. I'm sure if you go back to January 2021, you'll hear episodes about this of us talking about how we don't know exactly what these announced kind of micro ownership groups were actually buying into. What we found out this week is and this is particularly a a large group that included uh, most significantly to this story, Devin Talbot. I think he is the person who purchased the largest percentage, but big DC players, right? Chelsea Clinton, Jenna Bush Hager, mm-hmm. Todd Dashley. Um, I think this was the group that included Brianna Scurry. So there was, there was a group, uh, a group of people. And what we found out that actually what those people paid money for was a promissory note of some kind that itself mm-hmm. was not equity, but had the option to become equity if converted. And I don't know what the process of converting that into equity was, and that will be something that is important in the future. But essentially what, what Michelle Kang did is she purchased those shares, not all of them, but enough of them to mm. the point where she says, and we have to be clear that this is something that she says, and, and we don't know if the league agrees um, that she feels or, or based on all of this process. And she knows more about it than I do. Um, mm. Michelle Kang says, I own 52% of the Washington spirit and therefore I'm the controlling owner. Um, so Jason, tell me, tell me your impression of this. Were you surprised? It felt a little bit like a twist. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it definitely felt uh, like a twist and part of it, This is a thing that um, if this were a movie, I would say it was not particularly well written because you want your twist to be, you want something to have established that it was possible before. And this was a yes. thing we just didn't know. Right. This is more of a deus ex machina. It's kind of clumsy. Yes. Um, right. But yeah. in real life, it is just surprising. And that's, that's really all it is. I had no idea that this was um, a, a possibility. I, I had heard that the, um, the deal with uh, Todd Bailey was, was I, I, the word I kept hearing uh, from three different places was nearly. Okay. Um, so very, it was very close to being completed. Um, but obviously if you're opposed to that and you're fighting as Michelle Kang has been fighting from day one, um, that means that's like the time that you're going to start to really get creative. Um, and it appears that she got very creative because this was something that I I don't think anyone saw coming that had any, um, unless you were actually one of the people that bought those, uh, stakes, Right. In the club, maybe you're like, hell, hold on a second. I was reading the fine print and I noticed this little thing here. But uh, right. if you're not them, um, yeah, this had to come as, as a pretty substantial surprise. Um, it is, uh, un- like you said, it's kind of unclear as to what that actually means. Uh, she's very assertively said, I own 52% of this team now. This is right. a settled issue. And the league hasn't said anything. Um, so we don't know if they agree or if they're like, well, we don't know about that. Right. Um, Steve Baldwin hasn't released any kind of statement publicly, so we don't know how he's uh, approaching this. The whole thing still feels like it will be ending up in court. 
Uh, it just, I think the terms it, just are going to be different to get definitive terms, right? When you yeah. have people who can't even agree on what's happening, I think that, yeah, you're going to have to have a judge eventually sort this out. One thing that I thought, so, so, uh, the Washington post who has been on top of this is, I mean, they're not actually working together, but for the bigger picture, it's really been the Washington post and the athletic giving some of us, some of these pieces. Um, they obtained the email that Michelle Kang sent to the league board of governors, upon um, this acquisition of, of this extra equity. And a piece of that that I thought was interesting was it's, it's very well written. Go to uh, Molly Hensley Clancy's Twitter page is where that is posted. You can find that there. Um, she says something along the lines of, it's really, it's a glimpse into maybe some of the internal communication because even before saying, I have 52%, I am the controlling owner. She said something along the lines of, this deal that Baldwin wanted to approach was never going to happen anyway. I Mm. think it felt like from her perspective, this was all a little bit of a charade anyway, because there is no way that he could have done this deal for this much smaller evaluation without Mm. being sued, which would essentially bar it from occurring, you know, without a settlement of some kind. Um, So from your perspective, Jason, does it, who's bluffing here? <laughs> Is it everybody a little bit? It's it's probably to some extent, everyone a little, um, this wouldn't be if, if, um, Kang's assertion that the Baldwin proposal was, was a bluff. Uh, if that's true, this wouldn't be the first time that right. that has happened or something like that has happened, um, with Baldwin's tenure as owner. Um, there have been a few other things that have been sort of said publicly and then they don't happen. Um, uh, I was told at one point pretty in, in pretty unequivocal language that um, they would be uh, headquartered out of Audi Field. They would have a locker room at Audi Field. Um, they would have office space, et cetera. Now, that one that one might not be Baldwin's fault. That might be on D.C. United. That's another one of the many mysteries of the mm. Washington sphere at this point is. Right what happened there. But um, yeah, I I do feel like there is an element of public posturing that um, this was something that maybe on some level, I think they all wanted to work out privately back in, you know, spring to summer of 2021, um, especially once the Richie Burke reporting broke out and, and he was eventually terminated, but, you know, not terminated in the way that you would want. Um, Well, it was, to to be clear, it was the Richie Burke situation. It's a little bit complicated, right? Because Mm -hmm. the discussion of of Baldwin selling, Kang had approached Baldwin to sell prior to the termination of Richie Burke, correct? But then it was because of the way this team handled the Richie Burke situation that Baldwin was removed from governance, right? From the Board of Governors, barring um, some action that we were not given, that we were not privy to, some sort of internal... Uh, basically the league had to say that that's good enough. You, right. You've done it. You've fixed your problems enough that we'll let you back in. Right. Um, on terms that we, the public are not privy to and, right. and probably won't be privy to until at some point on like a random Friday or Sunday evening, there'll be an email that shows up that says like the spirit are allowed back on the league board of governors. Right. Um, maybe a final question on the ownership level. Uh, I think something that people are having some trouble figuring out is, we heard in this Washington Post story that the league, again, tacitly, the league doesn't really want to get involved, but there is this feeling on the in the Board of Governors and from Marla Messing, who is the interim uh, 
president CEO of, of the league that they're okay with, with the Bailey bid, right? They, Mm -hmm. they're fine with that. They think that that is tidier. Perhaps they think that's a a cleaner situation and they would just like all of this to be over. Yeah. It's difficult for me to know. And maybe, you know, better because you know, Bailey's other investments, right. A little bit better. Um, is this open hostility to Kang? Does it feel purse? Does it seem personal? There are elements of this that seem personal, right? And I, our, our friend Steph, Steph Young wrote about this in The Athletic. She wrote an editorial that's very good about, you know, the weird rumors about the the dumpling party that right. um, led to the COVID outbreak, which ended up not being true at all, or a, a variety of other things that seem like, at worst, this is collusion amongst these owners to keep Kang from being the operating owner of the team. Mm. Is that what you're feeling in DC or do you think that it's more nuanced than that? Uh, I think it's a little more nuanced in that. uh, I think from Baldwin's angle, it's absolutely personal, right? Um, It's incredibly personal. Um, I think there was a point in time where the spirit situation was probably too diffuse to be settled where this could have been settled in Kang's favor pretty quickly. Right. Um, but it wasn't, the timing wasn't right. Um, things didn't line up quite right. Um, and over time, you know, I, I, on one hand, sometimes it feels like the league is very passively observing all of this. Right. Um, and it's just like, I would really rather not get involved if I don't have to. Um, it's kind of like watching a squabble at, you know, a coffee shop and, and it's getting out of hand and someone, everyone's like, is someone going to step in here? Right. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want anyone in. to start swinging um, on me though. Right. But, yeah, but yeah, yeah. if you're the league, you are like the manager of the coffee shop. Um, yes, right. And it, it did feel like that for a while, but the indications from the reporting that you've, you've been talking about are that the league was kind of like, yeah, this, this, um, this other bid is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Bailey's connections to sports and entertainment uh, on a more wide level because of his, uh, involvement with the NBA. There are a few other um, things that he's gotten involved with that are kind of pretty big connections that NWSL, I'm sure, would love to um, be have more extensive contact with, you know, the, the power brokers behind the NBA, for example. They're running what seems to be the most well-run sports league in the U.S. Right. Um, so that's the kind of people I'm sure NWSL is like, we got to find a way to connect with these people and get them involved uh, with us. Um so on some level, they do seem to want that connection. But I I also, I just, the whole thing strikes me as the league oftentimes would just like things to run smoothly and they don't really strike me as wanting to deal with this. Um, right. Because the league, it's, to be fair to the league, it's not like they're short of other things they have to deal with. Yeah. If yeah. the spirit had been a perfectly run club with no controversies this year whatsoever, the league would still be absolutely inundated with crises yes, uh, of, of all sorts. Yes. So they might also just be not equipped um, to deal with this, both from a you know bandwidth perspective, and also do they have the does the league have the heft to do battle with Baldwin or Kang or both um, and win those battles? And right. I don't know that that's true. Um, I don't know that the league is in a position to impose its will on an owner who is unwilling to listen. Um, That is like, no, I'm not going like, I'm not just unhappy, but I'm actually not going to obey you. Um, I don't know that the league has the ability to win those battles, which is uh, potentially a very big problem uh, 
you know, as we're seeing, but also potentially for the future. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a confusing one because yeah. it, it's from so many different angles. Uh, we're on, we're in uncharted territory. I, I don't have a good analog for what's going on with the spirit as I haven't for like this whole year and right. plus now has yeah. been like, yeah, this is unlike anything I've ever encountered. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, I think I agree with all of that. I think maybe my one other thought is just um, when people act, there, there's two reasons why people act illogically in, in my opinion, in, in this kind of a story. One is if they're privy to information that we don't have, which Mm -hmm. these people absolutely are, right? Yes. And so when people are doing things that seem illogical from the outside frequently, it's because they have information that we do not. The other reason, though, is is definitely because it's personal and because ego is involved and because um, people are, are not acting in their best business interests because of some sort of a personal issue. And I think that we see that a lot in the league. Mm -hmm. And so I think that thinking that that is a factor here is absolutely part of it. Um, so moving on a little bit, we saw obviously the spirit overcome a lot of dysfunction in, Mm -hmm. in 2021. And we'll say maybe, especially in the last three months of the season, right? They, they really kind of focused, um, does this continued turmoil, do you think it reaches players? Do you think that they're following this closely? Do you think they're mostly just trying to focus on themselves and their off season? How does this affect a team mm. to, to have this kind of infighting at an ownership level? Do you think? Uh, I mean, it can't not, um, right. especially we know the spirit are very, very engaged in what's going on. They, one of their main complaints this year was the number of times they had to be find out major news coming off the training field and they check their phones and their phones are, you know, going crazy. And they're like, I don't even know what's going on. We were training. This right. is like the one time in my life that I'm not having to be assailed with notifications. Right. Um, so on one hand, they are, as I think every player in the league is, um, there's a superhuman level of ability to compartmentalize and just say, like, I'm not thinking about that right now. Um, right now, the thing I have to do is kick this ball and run around in a specific way. Um, so I'm going to do that. But, you know, that's a short period of your day. And the rest of the time, this is kind of going to be um, a thing you're dealing with. I noticed um, that the team's three leaders, uh, Andy Sullivan, Tori Huster, and Aubrey Bledsoe, now Aubrey Kingsbury, I have to be practicing yes. uh, on that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, she got married. So congrats to um, her. Yeah, 100%. yeah, congrats to her. And and she did change her name. That is, yes. uh, that is the official, team has an official confirmed change. that. Yeah. Um, but they got together uh, in D.C. They uh, they There were Instagram posts about it, and it was like, hey, we're getting together for tea time. Um, but it struck me as a also a, like, let's get together and continue to, like, like we can have our zoom chats and texts and whatnot, but sometimes it's good to like, we're all meeting up in person and we're going to talk about the things that are going on with the club because the players are part of the reason why Kang still ever like was still hanging around uh, to make her, her move more recently. Um, I don't know if the, without the players public backing, which is another unprecedented thing um, that this is still going on in the path it's going. So it absolutely affects them. Um, but it's also, it, it's very interesting to, you know, late in the season, uh, they were finally training in a set place and I was allowed to, you know, media was allowed to come and attend training. Um, and you still see a training session that doesn't look like, uh, 
you know, if you didn't know what else was going on, you were just like, okay, I'm going to this soccer team's training session. I've seen professional soccer training before. Um, it wouldn't look anything. It was like, oh yeah, this is a completely normal time. Right. Um, so they're able to put it aside and perform uh, still, though the off season, there's not, you know, you don't have any games to go play. Right. Um, but yeah, th- they are absolutely affected by it. And I'm sure that especially the leaders and, and the players who are invested, there are players that have been here for a few years now um, that can't help, but feel some degree of responsibility, um, some degree of wanting to make sure that it's not all on the leadership. Um, yeah, sure. I think Tori Huster's spoken about that a few times of the idea that everyone in the league is trying to make sure that one player isn't carrying more than they can handle. Right. And so there is a lot of, you know, open communication about like, I can't, you know, this, this is a thing right now where I'm just out of, I'm out of gas. I, I need a couple of days to not do it. Um, and people are stepping up and taking that for them. So I'm sure that that's going on behind the scenes. Um, the players still are, you know, there, a lot of them were at the Kingsbury wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them have been hanging out. I think a few of them flew out to the West coast to hit the beach with, um, um, Sam Staub and Tegan McGrady are now Te- McGrady is now full-time a Californian. She just lives yes, there right. because she yeah. plays there. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, there is still that social aspect. So it's not one of those things where they're like, we let's not see each other until right. preseason starts. It's one of those things where they're like, we are, you know, we're going to band together and work on not just soccer stuff. Um, so I, I do think they're affected by it, but it also, it doesn't seem somehow to have exhausted them or leave left them, uh, unable to uh, be at their best. You know, they're, yeah. these players went to the national team camp after the season and they played well. Yeah, um, did quite well. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, so just as an example, now there's seven of them in the the current camp. So yeah. Um, yeah, I think they are in a remarkably good place considering everything that's going on around them, which would be a, a very good explanation for like, yeah, they're not playing very well right now because of, you know, gestures at everything. Well, um, and it, it seems good then for for the whole league, really, but but for them as well. Just you know, you think about the the productivity and how probably good it was that they did play so well at the end of the season. That that is not a concern, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so they can feel good about that. They can compartmentalize it a little bit. Um, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So we'll see. I guess you know, going into preseason, they at least have the coaching staff set. That is not a concern. Um, the hope is also we don't know what their venue situation is going to be this year. Uh, we'll see if total, they do total mystery. Yeah. We'll see if they do <laughs> four, four and four, I guess. Again, um, oh. they were not huge fans of that, but no. Uh, um, we'll, yeah. We'll find out. Yeah. No one, no one, I think no one in the organization wants to be at Segra, but yeah. who knows? Who knows? Um, yeah. So I'm sure there'll be more to come, but yeah, I uh, kind of a, a big week, a big week in that. And we did actually see some new news as it, as it seemed. Um, but I do think this is far from over. Um Speaking of just sort of the ownership stuff, you know, as we talk about things that feel a little bit personal and I think perhaps organizations struggling to struggling with where things are at, especially with the, with the fan base right now. Um, Not another, not great week for both North Carolina and Portland. Um, And this is something too, that I don't, it's hard for me to gauge sometimes uh, how much this ripples out past people who are maybe very just engaged with the sport on social media. Right. Um, but I know that it was a very, you know, I think that on social media, um, these, these things were, were brought up separately. Mm-hmm. Um, Steph at, at, at the athletic spoke to, um, Francie Gottsegan, who is the new, uh, 
what is it? The new president, the new president of, of, yeah. of North Carolina for, for both the men's and the women's side and asked about Jalen Daniels. And I think that there was a little bit of unpreparedness there, um, which I think people responded to naturally, which was to be disappointed in, in some of the unpreparedness of talking about harm done of a signing like that. Um, the same week, there was a piece put out on uh, ESPN, actually, by by Caitlin Murray about Portland's uh, relationship to both of their supporters groups, both on the men's and the women's sides, again, um, saying that the club has pretty much at this point, uh, what's the right way to put it, conceded that they are not going to see eye to eye with supporters group leadership, I guess, is, is maybe a way to put it, and are um, canceling in perpetuity meetings with, with supporters group leadership in a way that felt, it, you know, it felt a little bit sarcastic. It felt a little bit pointed. Mm-hmm. Um, you can kind of tell that the club is sort of throwing their hands in the air and saying, we can't deal with this anymore. Um, I, I want to ask your perspective on this. I don't know if I really have anything new to say. I think that it's all just sort of the the same perpetuation of the same stuff. But I guess I wanted to ask you specifically, Jason, about supporters groups a little mm-hmm. bit in the States, especially, because it seems like we're seeing increasingly the relationship of a supporters group to the club and the relationship of perhaps your casual fan to a club really being very, very different. Mm-hmm. And even perhaps seeing supporters group leadership's relationship versus even just your casual member of a supporters group. Um, and I think we're beginning to see some, some fissures across the league of your casual fan doesn't feel the same way as your supporters group. Maybe a member of the supporters group doesn't feel the same way as your supporters group leadership. Supporters group leadership is really struggling to come to terms with accountability and moving forward with club leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, have you seen some of the stuff that you're seeing in NWSL? Have you seen it on the men's side before? Have you seen this in MLS before? Or does it feel new? Uh, maybe the 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 reason why is the severity new. severity of it. Um, right? yeah. But the, the conflicts have been there for quite a while. I know in, in D.C. there was a major supporters group conflict that uh, really, I mean, it's, there's always that tension, the supporters groups that are, mad at the team DC was pretty famously either bad uh, Mm -hmm. on the field or even when they were good, were not particularly fun Mm -hmm. um, for quite a while. And so there's, there's animosity that comes from that, that just sort of sits. And then when something, a conflict actually happens, things get out of hand really quickly. And in this case, it was DC. The the very short version is they tried to pick one supporters group over the others Mm -hmm. and the others were in open revolt as soon as that happened. Mm. Um, and there was a pretty, I wouldn't say open hostility from certain members of club leadership, you know, not soccer side, but business side, um, towards the idea of like the, the, they basically were like, this is not that big of a deal to us. Like we, we're not, it's not that important that you right. be served anymore in, in the way that you have been right. because supporters groups do get, um, uh, more access and better treatment than your, your run of the mill fans. That's right. kind of the exchange that clubs give is like, you guys are doing more than the people just show up, sit in their seat, cheer, and then go home. Right. So we're going to give you more. Um, and in DC, at least the way it played out was DC was like, we're, you know, at one point they threatened to sell 
uh, one supporters group section. They were just, we're, we're going to sell them as regular tickets and, and you just won't have a place anymore. Um, and then later at Audi field, uh, two, two thirds of the supporters group were just not showing up um, for the games and the place was kind of quiet. Yeah. Um, and eventually the way that thing played out was the person that spearheaded that from the club side ended up being let go. Uh, and the supporters groups got the terms that they wanted. Yeah. Um, and the venue became loud again. Yeah. Uh, or became loud for the first time because this all was wrapped into opening right, the, the newness of it. But that makes sense, yeah. right? Especially in a, in a team like Portland, everybody knows how important the fans are to the atmosphere at Providence yes. Park. And this is on both sides, right? Both, mm-hmm. both, both sides, the men's and the women's. And I think perhaps in a weird kind of messed up way, I think perhaps Portland feels like they have actually a little bit more leverage on the men's side than they do on the women's because it's a higher profile thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit more entrenched support, all of that sort of stuff. Um, the numbers are higher. Uh, and I think you're right, right? That this is not, this is not a squabble about who is getting what access. This is not petty. This is about very serious things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems like perhaps we're getting to the point where the clubs, despite the severity of the concerns are now sort of treating lists like, supporters group conflicts have been treated in the past which is mm-hmm. there's a bottom line of we provide the product you provide your help to the atmosphere in exchange for being closer and getting better access to this product take it or leave it right yeah um i were i mean i don't know for you do you worry a little bit about drawing that line on the women's side do you think that this will cause a dent in support it, should it cause a dent in support i don't know it, there uh, seems to be this emphasis on collective action which mm-hmm. i think is very important um but where does collective action go in 2022 you know yeah that's that is a uh, a complicated question i think for every supporters group it's going to be a little different right um but i think the the broad question of is it going to make a dent it is yeah um you are going to have people who are like i don't need to do this anymore right um because this is the thing that maybe has to be sort of learned over time by the teams is that for them, I think their perspective is that for the supporters group folks, that it's easy to do what they're doing. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That they show up for a game just like anyone else and they just cheer harder and the banners that they make are just, they appear through out of thin air (laughs) and it's all time. People are investing outside of the other stuff they have to do to get by in America. Right. Um, so I, I think there's an under it's people underestimate how much goes into being in a supporters group uh, on the club side. And I think that they feel like it's something that that they've had more of a part in creating than they actually have uh, the, the clubs. I think I think Portland in particular, the way that their release rang to me, at least as a complete outsider to um, the supporters group culture out there it rang to me as them saying or them kind of telegraphing that they don't think losing these, these supporters groups or at least losing the leaders the around leadership. Them, right. Um, yeah. They don't think that's going to be a negative or if it is, it's a negative they're willing to take over continuing to deal with the problem. Right. Um, and what they maybe, and this is kind of a Portland organization thing in my read is that over the years, they've kind of missed like the number one thing that sets them apart in both MLS and NWSL 
is what happens behind that one northeast goal. Yeah, right. it's it's the Timbers Army on the MLS side. It's the Riveters on the NWSL side. That is their best recruitment tool. Yeah, uh, it is their best uh, tool for gaining sponsors. Um, mm-hmm. It's what gets them in every single league ad clip. When you mm-hmm. show the first crowd shot for both yeah. leagues, every single time is going to be from someone in Portland, a capo or some, you know, people yeah. throwing right. their arms up in an organized chant. It's the number one thing that they have that sets them apart from Houston or right. from Chicago. Right. It's the thing. So I, I think it feels to me like in the Portland organization, they might not think that they might think that it's actually what the decisions the club has made is what sets them apart. Yeah. I don't think that that's true. I think they've misread the situation and, and will probably find themselves wishing they hadn't uh, down the road. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, Portland is an environment where there's enough of a demand for tickets where maybe they will short term be like, see things worked out. We only right. lost like 4% of fans and it'll right. be fine. Um, we'll recover that by 2023. And what will actually happen if it plays out, as some of these other things have played out across American soccer and a few other leagues is that fan participation will continue to drop the casual fans that used to be like, wow, I want to be a part of that. will be like, well, there is no that. So they're like, this doesn't feel, this was fine. It's not the same experience. Right. Next next weekend I'll go see the baseball team play. Right. um, Instead. Yeah. Um, And it comes at a cost. It's, it's every single one of these has played out in a way where it comes at a cost to the club, where the club eventually changes course Mm -hmm. and maybe they don't go back to where they were. Um, but they do at least kind of come back around to the supporters group viewpoint. And I I can't see how, how a good outcome for the club is going to come from them saying, we're just not going to communicate with um, this, especially a supporters group that is as large and as entrenched um, as uh, 107 is, you know, it's, there's a whole corporate structure there. It's a whole thing. Um, Yeah. I, I don't see how that's going to end well for Portland, the club. Um, and it's the kind of thing where they might loop back around and say, well, maybe actually we should have continued the dialogue because maybe we were, we're realizing now that we might've made a mistake here. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think that you're making a good point and, and maybe this is a place to sort of wrap it up, which is, um, the Portland situation, as you said, is unique in that the supporters group is the driving factor of, of a lot of what makes that club special. And it's not. You know, it, it's not saying that every single fan should have Merritt Paulson's home phone number to right. call and, and 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 talk to him. It's it's that the people who have invested in this with their time and their energy and have created true like a business structure similar to that of the club itself um, mm. deserve or part of this relationship is that is it is collaborative. It is something that you you earn that place at the table by putting that work in um a thing that was in that portland release and a thing that that was said in north carolina as well and i think this is really hard to gauge from statements made by other members of the front office but something a, a through line from both of these clubs was this sentiment that the fans are not matching up with the wishes of the current players. Mm-hmm. I think there was something in the Portland release that was like going when you're going against, you know, the the club leadership or the wishes of players um with the Daniels situation, 
Uh, it was mentioned multiple times that she's a great teammate. You know, she, they, they're happy to have her on the team. Um, do you think that again, in your experience, do you think that's true or do you think that's posturing a little bit? Uh, in this case, it, both of them struck me as a bit of posturing. Okay. Um, I think, especially with Portland's players, I think Portland's players, if they felt that way, uh, they would have said so. Right. Um, they would have sought, like, there's a lot of experience in Portland where they know that if they, if they're being misrepresented or if they have a strong viewpoint that is not being put out there, that they can contact somebody. Right. Um, a lot of those players know some reporters that they can talk to um, and they know to do so if, if it's a big enough deal. So I, I think that it may be either overstated or outright said something that just hasn't been expressed. Right. Um, in North Carolina, I'm sure for some of those players that were there while Daniels was there th- the first time around, they're like, yeah, yeah, she was a good teammate in the locker room. Right. Um, but I'm also sure there are plenty of players who are like, I'm aware of her views and it's it not possible to weird be and bad. Right. Yeah. yeah it's not yeah. possible to be a good teammate. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a case of the clubs maybe um, overstepping and saying something that, that hasn't Speaking been expressed people. to them and just hoping right. that it, it turns out to be true or goes unquestioned. Yeah. Well, yeah, though, that makes sense. I mean, I think that's maybe a good place to cap this conversation, right. Is that, um, what we saw, especially in North Carolina was this was club leadership being made available to media. Um, and again, uh, kudos, kudos to Steph who did a really, really good job of, of expressing journalistic integrity while also making people back up the statements that they make. Right. And I mm-hmm. think that that is this next level of where this is probably also going to go this year, which is that it's going to get harder and harder for people in places of leadership to just say stuff and right. have people be like, okay, that's probably 100% true. You know? And I think that there's going to be tension there. I think that that's going to be something that happens constantly because this league is deeply um, unused to that. Mm-hmm. And, and this is actually maybe a good seg into the, the next segment, which is I think one of the things that actually is an opportunity for NWSL is to be a bit unique in the soccer landscape in that you do have people trying to hold those in leadership accountable. Because I think sometimes when we look across the globe and we say, well, that's great and that's great and that's great and this is really bad, that's not always true, right? It's more Mm -hmm. just who's asking what questions of leadership, what stories do we do, what stories do we do not know, how empowered do players feel to be able to speak out, what is the media infrastructure, what protections do players have to trying to raise conditions, right? And so I think it's really easy to think that the NWSL is the only place where these tensions exist, but theoretically it's something where hopefully it gets us somewhere where accountability does exist rather than things seeming really great. Cause these things seemed really great from 2015 to 2022. Right. And they right. were not, you know? So um, I think that there, there's a level of honesty there that I think is not, is not bad. And so we're going to talk a little bit, I hate this conversation, but we are going to talk a little bit about the NWSL's place in the global global sphere uh, mm. in part two. So everybody come back. We're just going to take a quick break. All right. Welcome to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Jason Anderson. Please rate and review this podcast. It helps people find us. Give us five stars. Say something nice on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you listen to us on streaming. Helps us out. Helps people find us. Um, we're just one of the fish in this, in this pond here. So we're trying to, trying to be found, trying to do a good job. Give us a rating and a review. Uh, 
So we we do have some some soccerish stuff to talk about. There it felt a little bit like um, offices opened up for business a little bit again this week. Uh, the European transfer market is open, which we we saw one um, major signing out of the European market, and I think we should we should just chat about it. Some of it's going to be soccer stuff. Some of it's going to be sort of larger conversation. Um, I think the one to start with is the one that I think surprised a lot of people. Um, number five draft pick draft pick out of UCLA, um, youth, you know, youth international for, for the U S likely to, to break into the full team. Eventually me official rather than signing a contract with the Orlando pride and her former college coach, Amanda Cromwell, she was announced this week that she's joining Tigris down in Liga MX Femenil. Um, we had heard rumblings about this, maybe, mm. right? Some some reporting down in Mexico, um, but nothing from Orlando's side. And in fact, we got a very short message at request of, of media just sort of saying it, it was a bit terse, right? We'll say yeah. that. Just that they were unable to come to terms. Jeff Kasuf of, of the Equalizer uh, reported that Tigers offered more money than Orlando did. I think that perhaps that, factors getting a little bit overblown. I think that that was one part of, of many parts of why a, a player might be making this choice. Um, saw it was really interesting. The, the response, I think, because people, I think in the States are getting a better sense of what's happening down in Mexico over the last year or two. Um, and there are some very exciting games being played down there, especially when you get into their playoff structure um, mm-hmm. They have this this two legged is the wrong word, but they they have two seasons per year, and mm-hmm. they do have a final for each of those seasons. So they have a little bit they have a little bit more um, cup competition built in to their yearly season. Um, Jason, this is again this is leaning on your expertise as someone who's been around the American soccer sphere for a while. Um, when you see people with the thinking of like, oh, we're we're lo- we're losing. We're losing our top talent. We're mm. we're not able to compete. Uh, just this sort of referendum on the NWSL's place in in the club atmosphere, or even just America's place in world soccer, because mm-hmm. that is is new and it's growing. And it's, we're not the greatest soccer power in in the world. Um, what was your take on on some of what you saw in the discussion about Fischl? Understanding that we don't really have the full backstory here as to right. why she made this decision. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it comes from this. There's an American insecurity about our, our place in the global pecking order. And so when a player doesn't come to NWSL, for example, there's a major, a major reaction um, that I feel like is not in line with reality. And it's also like you just said, we don't know why she made the choice she made. Um you know, the, the reporting that she was offered more money. Okay. That's probably a factor. Uh, I'm sure. But like, if you're, if you're me official and you're coming out of college and you're you're trying to make that client, that rapid ascent to the national team level, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to be playing as a starter somewhere. And when you look at Orlando's roster, they've got, they've still got Sydney LaRue, Marta, um, Darian Jenkins is there, Leah Pruitt. Um, Abby Kim, like they've got a lot of forwards Mm -hmm. um, and it's not 100% clear. I I know um, 
Fischel played as a forward in college. Maybe, you know, maybe she should be a little underneath. Uh, well, forwards, she, she's their new number 10. I mean, down in Tigers, right. they, I mean, you can't place everything on the numbers on a Jersey, yeah. but perhaps part of it too, is the conversation of, Hey, we think you might be a real kick-ass attacking mid. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe she agrees with that, you know? And, and, you know, maybe that's part of it is like, maybe at UCLA, there was friction. Uh, yeah. Maybe she was like, I would like to play deeper. Mm-hmm. And Cromwell said, I view you as a forward period. Right. And that's the end of the discussion. Um, so that's, that's, but that's all speculation. We don't right. know that that's how she views herself or how Cromwell viewed her. Right. Um, but, you know, T Grace giving her the 10 is kind of an indicator of the, the different dynamic at play. You know, she comes to Orlando where she's not going to be Orlando's star. Mm-hmm. She's not going to be their second biggest uh, high profile player. Um, she's going to be, you know, pushing for a starting role. Sure. But not necessarily the star of that show. Whereas for T grace, they're giving her the number 10. They are making a huge deal out of this. Yes. Um, and you know, you can't help, but feel more wanted when one club is saying we're going to, you know, our salary is going to be higher. Uh, the salary you're going to get is going to be higher. And also, um, we're going to kind of make you the star of the team. We're very excited to have you here. Whereas for any NWSL club, this isn't an Orlando problem. This is every club in the league. Um, They're going to be like, we're glad you're here. We want you to be a part of the program, but also you're not like, we're not assuming that you're going to be a superstar immediately. The spirit drafted Trinity Rodman. And if, if you look back at their preseason rosters, the reason Rodman became a starter is in part because Bailey Feist tore her ACL right before the start of the challenge cup. Right. Um, I don't think Rodman was going to be a day one starter. They were going to, they were going to slow play it. Yeah. Um, and so if you're official, you're like, well, maybe I don't, I don't feel like I need that slow build. I need to be playing. Yeah. Um, and, and playing in an environment where the standard of play is probably not as high, but also there is more pressure because yeah. T grace in She's Mexico, get good big game experience in a right. real tangible way. Yeah. You're, you're talking about huge media pressure. Yeah. You're talking about huge crowds. Yep. Um, so yeah, the, the, you know, is T grace as good as the spirit or Chicago, the this year's finalists? No. Right. Um, is any club in Mexico at that standard? They aren't, but there is a different, education you're going to get playing down there as well as you know living abroad uh comes with a different education uh that you're going to grow in a different kind of way and maybe maybe on some level she thinks you know what i need right now isn't necessarily to play the nwsl style of soccer and get good at that more than i need these personal lessons yeah um or this ability to endure scrutiny um because it, it you know Tigres, Chivas, Club America, these are the clubs where uh, you are under a real microscope in a way that NWSL clubs, even even Portland, cannot match. Um, It's not a, you know, I kind of was struck watching the uh, final in Mexico, um, which feels like it was six months ago, but it wasn't. It was like um, the week before Christmas, right? It was just yeah, like it was, yeah. it was a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, but how how big of an event that looked. And if you had no idea which league was bigger, you would just be like, well, obviously the one in Mexico is bigger. Right. Look at the final, yeah, um, right. look at the difference between these two things. Um, so maybe that's part of the equation too, but people want to read into one player's decision right. in a very complicated set of personal choices that she's got to make. And they're trying to read what that means for the entire league. And they, these are really individual decisions that yeah. we don't, that we also just don't know. We don't have a lot of information about. 
Sure. I mean, I think, yes, I, I agree with a lot of that. Um, I think having watched, having watched Tigers, well, Tigers is also very different than, than they were even three weeks ago. Right. A lot of change mm. happened with that club even after that final. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm a little bit hesitant to use the word like good or not good or better than just because mm. I think that the style of play is very different. And I think that, um, you know, we did see, obviously we saw the dash, uh, blow Tigres out in mid, mid NWSL season last year. Mm-hmm. Um, we also saw Tigres play the dash really close in 2019. Um, it, but it's a more developed, it's a newer league, newer league, more yeah. developing league. It's, it's just not quite the same. Um, but I think I, I, a couple of things that I really do agree with there is, you know, I think another element here is there's, this is a new kind of player a little bit, mm-hmm. not in maybe in style and perhaps learning in Mexico, it will be in style, but athletes at this moment, especially women's athletes, you think about NIL deals in college, you think about social media, you think about branding and, I am not, I am not putting this down in any way. This is 100% part of being a professional athlete in 2022 is you need to make decisions that's best for you mm-hmm. and like best for your brand and best for the career that you want to have. And for a long time in the States, if you were an American national, it was paying your dues. It was taking your knocks and working your way up and eventually being rewarded with Mm. this opportunity with the u.s national team and i think that that power some of that is a little bit more back in the place of the players now Mm. where um your how much you get paid how the endorsements that you get your social media presence doesn't actually have to be tied to the prowess of the team that you're on in terms of it being the u.s women's national team and i think that we're seeing that with clubs like tigris or even you know clubs in in europe where we have players who really want to control their own destiny. Mm-hmm. And I think it's possible that you have a player like me official go through the draft system, which is specifically very anti-player rights and say, this doesn't feel right to me at all. You know, right. I, I want to control this. I want to be mm-hmm. in charge. And I think that you, again, she falls to fifth, right? She goes to Orlando, which maybe she wasn't expecting. Maybe she thought um, that she'd be able to stay a little bit closer to California. Who knows? Right. But mm-hmm the way that draft moment happened for her was very classic draft. It kind of reminded you of Ashley Sanchez, right? When, when she was drafted by Washington and I fully understand a player going through that day and thinking, you know, I have these, I have this other offer and all the other stuff that you said, right. Um, and I will become my own player and have my own career equally as interesting and I will grow in certain ways. And then if I want to go back to the States, I can, you know, and I think Mm -hmm. that that is, this is maybe a good seg to the signing of Maria Sanchez, which we did not talk about a lot on this podcast, but I do think it's really interesting in the context official Um, Maria Sanchez, who was signed with the Houston dash, who Sanchez uh, was drafted to the Chicago red stars was spent a year on that team. And then goes to Mexico. She originally played for Chivas, then Tigres. And now she's back with Dash. Or she, she did a little bit with the Dash in 2021. Now back with the Dash full time. Um, she said, you know, playing in the NWSL was her dream. That's the mm-hmm. dream for her is NWSL. Um, she's, from, she's from Idaho. And I just think that that's a good example as well of for every player, it's going to be a little bit different. And it's not a referendum on everybody. It's mm-hmm. everybody's dreams are different. Everybody's 
value systems are different. And I think it's good that players have options for a true diversity of experience rather than being stuck in this one thing. So then maybe I'm going to ask you the question because we haven't done it on the podcast yet this year and it's annual Uh, Mm. draft, bad, bad draft. Don't draft. What do you think, Jason? Should the draft be abolished? Uh, Yeah, I'm very much in favor of the players getting to pick um, where they, they are employed. Um, So yeah, it's the, the draft is a mechanism to move that power to clubs and away from the players. So, um, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not maybe smart enough to have the apparatus that replaces it. Um, if there is even one, or if or it's just, just a mad dash of teams offering contracts left and right, I don't know. Um, the yeah, thing the draft, I wonder is maybe we great. can have something in addition, you know, maybe don't mm-hmm. get rid of the draft entirely, but yeah, have some sort of not a discovery system because the discovery system is also a disaster, but like some mm. sort of qualifying offer system, right. Where it's like, you have minimums and you have to bid in qualify. I mean, the WNBA kind of has a version of this. They also have a draft, but this is maybe for players who have been in the year or the league for a couple of years is you have qualifying offer systems where it's basically, it's a little bit like poker (laughs) in that you have to put a certain amount of money up to even be having the conversation. And then from there you can negotiate with a player. Right. Right. And so it might be interesting to have something like that where teams have to, but maybe teams only are allowed to make, five qualifying offers and and mm. they have to and if they lose out on the ultimate player that they want uh oh did you maybe waste your qualifying offer on right. the wrong person you have to be serious you can't lowball it yes um, exactly which which does help those players get a little more if not necessarily power uh then at least they're getting a little more on the end because right. when you get drafted as a rookie you're not necessarily getting um you nwsl salary rules are set up so that you you're, if you're Trinity Rodman, for example, you can't really get access to the highest salary rate right, right. away. Um, and you're just sort of stuck with uh, the rookie offer. Does that change now that she's won rookie of the year? Was that included? I, something I believe. That can... Yeah, that's one of the um, okay, kick you into allocation. one of the triggers for allocation yeah. money. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but her initial contract, she still has she's still with that. So she'll have to negotiate if she wants more sure that's, um, that's pretty that's pretty classic stuff but for, right. for american sports for sure we've seen many superstars get stuck on a rookie contract yeah, exactly <laughs> uh, you know one name um you know as you were were talking about you know your perspective on fischl and, and maria sanchez one name yeah. that popped into my mind that i think maybe might have changed this you know might be an example for players going forward and, and probably already is uh is dana castellanos yeah yeah. who absolutely looked at this and was like, yeah, this isn't for me. Like right. I, I, I'm very aware of my potential on and off the field. And yeah. I don't think this path is, the, is right for me. Right. And continued, you know, she moved abroad. She went to, um, it was straight to Atletico Madrid, right? There wasn't yep. a stop between. Yeah. Yep. Um, and has continued to succeed there and yeah. has continued to, um, grow on and off the field as a, as a player getting her sponsorship opportunities that wouldn't have been there if she were playing, you know, substitute minutes off the bench for Orlando or whoever. Um, And that's a big deal. Um, And I, I'm sure, you know, one of the things about NWSL is that the players are all super educated. They're all coming through college programs. Um, They're all very aware of what other players are doing and how it might work for them. They're, they're, Thought, more thoughtful than we tend to think of athletes, which is already a kind of a, a thorny situation as is. Right. Um, 
but they are very aware of a player like Castellanos making the choices she made a, a couple of years ago. And I don't think that um, Castellanos and Fischl are going to be the occasional one-off every couple of years. I feel like college players in the next, in next year's draft are going to be like, well, hold on a second. Like right. this seems to be, you know, look at, look at, you know, me official getting the number 10 at T grace straight away. She's playing at this incredible stadium yeah. um, with this club, with this real history and all that, um, that maybe is more my thing than being, yeah. you know, getting 25 minutes a game for Gotham off the bench and maybe getting, you know, seven or eight starts unless I'm brilliant this year, which I don't know if I'm going to, cause I don't know this coach. Well, right. There's that, there's that element as well, right. With the coaching where it's like, well, I don't even know if my, I'm, my career is going to be stewarded well, because I mm-hmm. have no idea if, if these coaches and, and we've seen, I've, I've ragged on this multiple times in previous weeks, just how poor the NWSL is at development and how quickly players do get cast aside. Well, this and, is why Sanchez uh, jumped down to yeah. Mexico in part. Cause then, you know, as you, right. I don't have to yeah. tell you, she, you know, Chicago right. was like, well, it didn't work right away. So we got to do something else because we need something this week, like yeah. this weekend, right. we need to get three points. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And now she's coming back a, a very different player and different person, you know, uh, mm-hmm. so much growth there. Um yeah, I, I completely, I completely agree with that. I think, yes, I think Cassianos is a good example. And I think also when you talk about, and this is not necessarily, this is not Katarina Macario going to Macario going to Olympic Lyon because Katarina Macario is, is going to be one of the best soccer players in the world at her peak. And she went straight to one of the best clubs in the world, but um, mm-hmm. for players that don't know if the NWSL is right for them, there is this element too of like, well, if I go to this other team and I ball out, there are going to be NWSL opportunities for me in mm-hmm. the future. And then I get to have a place at the table of making that decision. And so I think that maybe the the one other way to put this then is it is objectively true that when you say the NWSL loses, I'm not I'm not really talking about hitting leagues against each other, but they do in that fans aren't going to get to see me official play live in the States yeah. this year. Right. That, well, that's always my take when it comes to losing it's um, soccer fans of this, of this uh, league who place a lot of money and care into helping the league thrive what they get to see every week. I think that that matters. Um, and not on TV. I mean, like in person in the stands, that's what makes a domestic soccer league really special is you can go see those players play. And so then from, I have no expectations of this whatsoever because we've gone over many times, all the other things that the league leadership is dealing with, but do you think they see these losses as red flags or do you think they go, Oh, this player wasn't right anyway for us. Uh, Orlando has to see this as a bit of a disaster, right? Yeah. uh, You know, from a couple of different angles, Um, from from one, from just the opportunity cost of using a first round draft pick, which in this league means a lot. And then not getting a player that you were probably expecting to be a pretty regular contributor, um, possibly a starter. um, And and like quickly. Uh, So that's a big loss. Um, And also there's excitement. People, want to know about your first round pick that yeah. these highly rated first round picks, it gets media interest going. Um, it gets fan interest going. Um, and it's all instead now them having to write a terse statement saying like, we acknowledge that this happened and that's, right. that's the outcome. Um, that's pretty bad. Um, and it, it, it may be, you know, maybe one day we'll find out that it's entirely Orlando's fault, 
right. or maybe we'll find out that it was never going to work for them at all. Right. Um, and it's one of those didn't do homework kind of situations. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, on a, on a club level, it absolutely has to be, um, a pretty alarming thing for the league. I don't know if they're going to react too much, but there is that aspect. Like I mentioned earlier that, um, that very American instinct to overreact to any, anything that happens where the thing that you thought was going to come to your league one way or another players or otherwise, um, doesn't end up there. And in players cases, they end up, you know, playing abroad. It becomes a referendum, Um, where it might not be a referendum. It might be literally like the very nitty gritty specifics of this situation caused me to make this choice. But if they'd played out a little differently, I would be in your league. Um, so yeah, it will be interesting to see if, if the league reacts to this in a, like with a shrug or if they're like, oh, this is very alarming. Um, this is, this is the one that sort of sets the, the alarm bells going. And then what does that mean? Like, how does the the league respond if they think, okay, this is a potential disaster. What are we going to do about it? Right. Um, because sometimes the league has responded in ways that were not ideal to, to alarming situations. And so it could be a situation where they just don't really do much of anything. And they say, you know, the CBA is going to raise salaries and that'll take care of this pretty much. Right. Or it might be one where they, they overreach and yeah. make a mistake or they might get it right. Um, but yeah, it is an interesting because that's the CBA is another aspect here that um, if this were if the draft were a couple of months later potentially, the situation might have been radically different. Orlando might have been able to offer a completely different contract. Right. Um, so you know, reading a lot into it right now is is difficult because we don't. Sure. Ha- it's not like we're seeing top five picks every single year. Uh, go abroad. It's, yeah, it's right. rare. So right. we're seeing some, but it's usually like yeah. one, one, one a year, maybe one or two right. of, of the top five. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, if it's um, if you're the club that has that happen, then you need to, you know, re- look at your processes as to how you made the pick, how you right. didn't know that this was a solid thing to do. Right. Um, but if you're the league, maybe you say like, you know, maybe the situation here is just, we need to be a better league so that right. the players are, well, um, I, right. And I think the end of yourself's reputation globally is not amazing right now. And I think everyone <laughs> can kind of imagine why. Uh, yeah. yeah. And and so maybe this is a good way to talk about maybe the last player to discuss. Well, the one other thing is Yuki Nagasaga is going back to Chicago. And I think nobody was shocked and everybody cheered. And that's great. But, yeah. it's, you know, that's that's internal stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, let's talk about uh, Sophia Jacobson coming mm-hmm. to San Diego. So again, European, European transfer market is open. We know that Casey Stoney, Casey Stoney is a little bit different actually than Freya Coombe and Annie Luco in that I think Casey Stoney really feels like her strengths are in recruiting in Europe. I think that mm-hmm. that is, and I think one of the things that maybe doesn't get talked about quite enough with Casey Stoney is that she also created that Manchester United group. She mm-hmm. has experience sort of creating a roster. She did that with with Manchester United. And so I think that I'm not shocked that we're seeing her approach be a little bit more externally focused than internally focused. Um, you know, Jakobsen is a, is a player that obviously is a Sweden international. She was at Bayern Munich. She was not playing a ton at Bayern Munich. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like a good move for her because she was in a club situation that I don't think she was again, just on the field, maybe not super happy with, um, has an opportunity to be a major player out in California. I think she trusts Stoney. 
Stone Stoney talked about in on on a press conference. I think it was before the expansion draft, just about that reputational element of the NWSL. And I do think if you're a coach calling agents in Europe, you're saying, no, I promise this right. is going to be good. Yeah. Right. Um, like we're an expansion team. We haven't done anything bad. Right. Yet. Yeah, um, exactly. You can't hold this against us yet. Um, but also maybe the San Diego concern is not off the field. Maybe it's on because mm-hmm. San Diego might not work this year. I don't know. What are you thinking, Jason? It's a little bit, I mean, the big joke, right, is is no no midfielders, and they're running out of time mm-hmm. to really shore that up, right? Yeah, um, and, and it really is. You know, if if you were to try and assemble a best eleven right now, you would have to start looking at like declaring Kelsey Turnbow and Kristen McNabb as midfielders, right? And, and Naomi Girma is your number six, right? Yeah, right. right. Um, you know, that's where you'd have to go with it. So. Um, that's not, uh, I don't, I'm sure that that's not the actual plan. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a weird thing where on one hand, signing Jakobsen, who is already 31, she turns 32, I think early this year, uh, in the next couple of months here. Um, when you've already got Alex Morgan, who turns 33 this year and Jody Taylor is 35. Yeah. Um, those are the forward moves you're making when you're thinking like, we're, we have a real shot at making a run right now. Um, but at the same time, they don't have a midfield. Um, right. They're building an expansion team. Uh, expansion teams historically do not make a run that first yeah. year. Uh, and, you, you know, they've picked up some very good players at the back, but they're players that have no history with each other. Um, you know, Abby Dahlkemper and Tegan McGrady have never played alongside right. each other outside of maybe um, McGrady does have that one cap. So maybe there's like a week of national team camp in there right. in, the, and- in the past. And none of them have played with Kaylin Sheridan before. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm sure that we're going to see these midfield moves. Maybe, you know, I, I'm sure using their international spots, they traded right. with the spirit in the McGrady deal to get an extra one mm-hmm. um, just to back up uh, what you were saying about how recruitment from abroad is is a, a stony focus. It's something right. she's and Jill Ellis, too, I'm sure, is very right. confident that um, her name as you know, I've won the world cup, um, as a coach, it carries a lot of weight when she's in these negotiations. So, um, I'm sure that the midfield I I'm, I'm guessing is going to be a lot of internationals. Um, they're going to stock up in that area because right now they've settled their forwards. Um, I feel like, I I feel like they're, they should probably be done signing the forwards that are going to play a lot, at least, you know, everyone else will be depth. Um, but, uh, it is a curious thing to not really even have a handle on like what's the framework for this supposed to be because the middle of it is just there's no there's, there's no there's nothing there right um, so it's well, hard the to framework the framework is you'll have defenders playing defensive mid and you'll have attackers playing attacking mid essentially. right <laughs> yeah. um, which I, I think I think there was a joke out there that Stony um, said to someone I I'm, I'm failing to remember where it might have been i think it was me she said that to me she said that she's just gonna have them lob it up there and yeah exactly um which uh you know if you want to play a 505 then that would be innovative um in its way but but no uh, i think san diego like every expansion team is going to have a tough time I, i think the rules that were put in place um around this round of expansion i know um louisville seemed maybe unhappy uh about some of the stuff that San Diego and Angel City have gotten. Yeah. Uh, but Louisville got some things that those two teams did not get. Right. Um, 
And so uh, I don't know. I, I think both of those teams are going to show some promise this year, but I also think that um, pending, you know, some incredible signings, I think it's going to be a year of we're better than people thought we were going to be, but yeah. it's not going to be pushing for a playoff spot right away, which is interesting because Jakobsen is kind of a signing you make when you're like, how do we take the next step to go from just outside? You know, right. if you're Houston 2021, how do you make that jump from seventh to sixth right. and get into the postseason? Um, Jakobsen is it a, a the kind of it's kind of a stereotypical like let's get an experienced player who's played at the highest level who's won some things abroad, right. um, and that's not really the expansion team move. So it's a little bit of an unusual one. You know, yeah. Angel City doesn't have a um, um international player uh, at least I'm I'm not thinking of anyone that's an international uh player that's in that same an international me- like medalist of some kind yeah that that's yeah, been yeah. around for a while that's right. seen a lot you know that that hasn't been their way of building and that's not how Louisville um set out at first to mm-hmm. to build their squad so it's it's definitely different and maybe um maybe the midfield moves will prove it to be exactly the right thing that they needed but it does strike me as a little of like if you're building to win today, you know, this roster shouldn't look the way it looks at this point in time. Cause we're, we're not that far from when you actually have to start like training and putting playing names, names down. Yeah, I know yeah. it's, it is interesting, right? It's, I think, you know, I think if you're looking at Louisville as the benchmark, probably actually for perhaps most successful ex- uh, expansion year season, just in, atmosphere and early success. I mean, I think that that is it, right? You want to at least be winning some games when the other teams don't have tape on you. You want to be surprising a little bit, right? And if it fades down the stretch, fine. That's fine. It's a, it's an expansion year. Um, Yeah. And so I think the question when you put together a group, and I, I also just think that that's fascinating as well, because with that kind of roster construction of a lot of people from a lot of different places, um, the way that will gel, you have to come up with a shorthand very quickly. And I think that it's, it's interesting to think of, you know, Alex Morgan and Sophia Jacobson working together immediately, or, um, you know, Tegan McGrady and Abby Dahl Kemper and Kaylin Sheridan all sort of figuring out how do we mesh this into a team and how do we do this without a, a midfield monster maybe is the best way to put it. Because I think a lot of NWSL teams really um, do well when they have one person who is the captain of, of that segment of the field. And so I think that, um, yeah, I'm fascinated. There, there have been some rumblings about, I'm sure, I mean, they're not, they are not literally going to sign no midfielders. They will have them. <laughs> we just don't know who they are yet. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, well, I'll just leave it with this. I'll leave this because Jason's the first time you're on here in, in 2022. Uh, are the Washington spirit going to repeat? What do you think? Are they going to win the shield? What do you think? Uh, I mean, pretty well, right? Yeah, uh, they they went on a run that lasted months, despite having every excuse to start losing games somewhere in there. Um, and they haven't gotten worse. Uh, they, you know, Tori Houston's the one loss. Uh, right. And she's not actually gone. She's just injured. Right. Um, and then there's McGrady, right? But she was splitting time. with Right. Um, you, you know, when you're looking at the starting lineup, yeah, you know, McGrady is definitely a hit to the squad, as is Paige Nielsen uh, departing. Right. But those players were either not starting or, you know, um, the coaching staff really seemed to go back and forth with McGrady and Rodder. So it was really, really close at left back. Um, But yeah, the the rest of the team seems uh, as strong as ever. They're pleased with their draft, even though um, 
they weren't up in up in the early rounds as they have been so many times in a row mm-hmm. um coming into this one um so yeah uh, i i'm interested to see how these draft picks play i haven't really you know partially because of the coaching staff situation where um chris ward was not officially the head coach for quite a chunk of this winter right um haven't gotten a, too much of their perspective on what they expect out of the new players and what players are going to come in you know they they i was a little surprised they let um takarada go um yeah, right but at the same time she wasn't playing and she wants to be a starter so she can push for a starter position with japan so it, yeah it's sensible but um you know they they do have a starting lineup that i think anyone in the league would be envious of yeah um and it's also a group that that isn't you know kelly o'hara is the only player in that group that is past her prime years the stereotypical sure. you know set of time where you're at your physical peak right um and she actually at the end of the season was like able to just play non-stop she looked yeah, like yeah, yeah. all the she stuff about year. her injury history seemed completely put to the side there was right. no like oh i need to rest i can't practice right there wasn't um, load management happening there at the end yeah right. so yeah, they they are set up extremely well to not just have caught lightning in a bottle. Yeah. Um, but they do. It's a it's a very different thing. Um, as the always, NWSL, being, the NWSL year is tricky. It's tricky yeah. to do. It's hard. Do it, it's not doing easy. it for because yeah. that that all that happened in like six weeks. Yeah. Um, it's hard to forget that like they had a zero zero draw with Gotham, yeah. and it was like mid October, yeah. and then you know, five, five and a half, six weeks later, they were winning the league. Yeah. It doesn't make sense still. I mean, um, I, well. I always just go back to, you know, Portland, right. Win everything. And they mm-hmm. mostly did, but then at the end, couldn't quite do it. So, right. um, yeah, I think that's kind of how it goes. That's why it was, that is one of the things that makes the league special for sure. Um, well, thank you so much, Jason, for joining me. We hit on a lot of things. This was a good, this was a good pod. Uh, we'll hopefully get CBA news sooner rather than later. Uh, we're going to get roster information. February 1st is, is rapidly approaching. I think we have, let me look at my calendar real quick. We might only have one more, two more podcasts, two more weekends before the end of the month. Yeah, we have two more and that's it. Two more. And then, then preseason begins. So it's rapidly approaching Uh shout out to our producer, extraordinary Jacqueline Purdy. I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Thank you so much to blue wire podcasts, our distributors. We'll be back with you next week with, I'm sure more stuff that one can only imagine what it will be. <laughs> Uh, Well, I'll talk to y'all next week.